Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome one and all, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, republicbroadcasting.org. Today is Saturday, March 8th, 2014. This show comes at you live right here on Republic Broadcasting every Saturday night from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern Time. That's 9 p.m. to midnight Central. We have a great show planned for you here today. I'm going to be getting into some of the root psychological factors that create the human condition. That's what we're going to be talking about here on the show today. The call-in number for the show, 800-313-9443. I'll be taking calls, hopefully throughout the show. Once again, the call-in number, 800-313-9443. I want to thank my special guest from last week, Jay Parker did a phenomenal uh, interview, did a phenomenal show with me last week. If you haven't heard that one, that's one you don't want to miss. You want to go back into the archives and uh, check that one out, uh, both at RBN and at my own website, whatonearthishappening.com. I want to make a quick event announcement. I will be speaking live in Asheville, North Carolina, a couple weeks from tonight, Saturday, March 22nd. It'll be taking place, this event, at the Lexington Avenue Brewery at 39 North Lexington Avenue in Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, the name of the event is called New Age BS and the Suppression of the Sacred Masculine Revisited with even more New Age Deceptions Exposed. I'm going to really be getting into the subtle deceptions of the feel-good spirituality called the New Age Movement. So if you're in the Asheville area, you definitely want to come on out and check out this one-day seminar. It's going to really be an all-day seminar. So uh, Saturday, March 22nd, 2014, and um, the doors will open at 9 o'clock a.m. I'll be uh, starting to speak shortly thereafter. Advanced tickets are only $7, a $7 donation in advance. To get advanced tickets, you can call 828 782 Once again, 
to get advanced tickets for $7, 828-782-0840, or you can email iwalkwithpurpose at gmail.com. Once again, that email address for advanced tickets, iwalkwithpurpose at gmail.com. At the door tickets, only $3 more for a $10 donation. You can get in at the door. So um, that's my uh, one event announcement. I don't have any uh, additional radio interviews booked for this week because I'll be uh, basically getting my uh, presentation prepared uh, for Asheville over the next couple of weeks. I am on day number 19 of a 30-day juice fast on a quest to cure my type 1.5 diabetes. I don't know if it'll be successful. We will see at the conclusion of it. So far, my blood sugar levels have really been perfect throughout the fast. So it's really going well. I feel great. I feel energized. I feel very clear-minded. And uh, the juice fast is going better than I even expected. So I'm on day 19. I have 11 days to go. I'm almost two-thirds of the way through. So uh, that's uh, really all the event announcements. Um, it, there is a support donation button on the whatonearthishappening.com website on the left-hand side. If you feel that this show, the information that I bring forward has been of value to you or help uh, assistance to you in your own awakening process, feel free to make a voluntary donation on the website whatonearthishappening.com. So uh, let's jump right into the material for today. Um, I have a whole lot of material to go through today, and hopefully we'll be taking some calls as well. I want to direct everybody to the images for today's show. These are images that I uh, basically make like presentation slides, and um, I refer to them throughout the show. So you can find the images that I refer to on the whatonearthishappening.com radio show page. Go to whatonearthishappening.com. You can click the radio show tab, or you can click the button at the top left-hand corner of the site that says What on Earth is Happening radio show. That will take you to the radio show listen page, and underneath the live player, the player for the live broadcast, there will be a, a line that says images for tonight's show. There you'll see some, some numeric links. You can click on those to open up a slideshow, and you could follow along with the images that I am referring to for um, uh, essentially visual stimulation to go along with the concepts and ideas that I'm talking about here tonight. So let's get started. Image number one, of course, was simply the poster for my uh, New Age BS uh, revisited presentation coming up in Asheville. So that's uh, image number one. Image number two what I'm going to be getting into here tonight is why is the human condition the way that it is? And you hear so many people talking about the symptoms. See, I said on podcast number one way back years ago, and even on the first uh, broadcast here on RBN, that what was going to make this show different is that I was going to discuss causal factors causal factors in mind, in the human psyche. This is a show about psychology ultimately. Yes, it's a show about mind control. It's a show about the occult. It's a show about the laws of nature that we are bound by and that we have to understand if we don't want to live in disharmony with them, with those laws, and then create self-inflicted suffering for ourselves. All right? But above all else, this show is about human psychology. It's about getting at the root, causal, psychological factors that underlie behavior. 
We're not going to change the externally manifested reality that we live in unless we change the behaviors that we are enacting as a species. And we're not going to change those behaviors unless we understand the root causal factors in the human psyche that drive our behaviors. And then we can get underneath them, you know, we can grasp hold of those behaviors, we can consciously understand what's going on in the subconscious mind, bring that material up, work with it, heal it, okay, and then we are exercising self-control as a result and taking full responsibility for our own behavior, and we're not just running on programming. So that's what this show is all about, and I think that's what sets it aside from just about every other show on the airwaves today. So, image number two, I've posted here some uh, small images of uh, what you could call as the current human condition. People living in denial and a very small group of people being awake to what's going on. It's been this way for millennia, okay? You know, uh, and you may, as people who are awake or partially awake, feel like that guy in the center of this image on the right-hand side of this image with his head in his hands, with all, all asleep, hypnotized people all around him. Okay, I understand that. I feel like that on a daily basis. Believe me, with what I know about the world and with what I know about the mind, trust me, I feel like that constantly. But you can't let it get you down. You can't dwell on it. You have to do the work. See, this show is about getting more people actively involved in doing the work of becoming a healer, of becoming a vehicle for truth so that people can understand what's going on and get a handle on it. Okay, so... The question that I pose here in this first slide for tonight is why, why, there's that all-important question, getting down to the causal root factors, why are most people so unconscious that they continue to remain asleep, that they continue to refuse to live in harmony with natural law, to fail to recognize the rampant presence of evil in their midst, and to often willfully participate in that evil? We'll pick this up on the other side of this first break. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Don't go anywhere. everyone you're listening to what on earth is happening here on rbn i'm your host mark passio my website whatonearthishappening.com we're talking today about what are the root psychological factors that underlie the human condition of slavery because that is the human condition okay so why do most people refuse to live in harmony with the laws of common sense with natural law with moral law? Why do they fail in most cases to recognize the rampant presence of evil in our midst? Why do they often willfully participate in such evil, either directly or indirectly? These are the questions we need answers to. These are the questions we have to explore. We don't need to just know that that's going on. We need to get at the root causal factors of it. So, does mind control explain it all? As I postulate in slide number three, you could find these images at whatonearthishappening.com slash radio. 
Can we just ch chalk it all up to mind control, to manipulation by a controlling or ruling class? Or is there more to it than that? Is there something that's deeply going on inside of the mass of humanity? Okay, the asleep or unconscious hordes of humanity. Do we have to look at what's going on there? Or can we just chalk it up and say, oh no, it's just some clever manipulators at the top who are pulling all the strings and they're just real good at manipulation. Well, I think there's much more to it than that. I've, of course, covered mind control for years. And, of course, mind control is going on. Of course, mental manipulation is going on. But that doesn't explain it all. There's, there's more subtle factors that are going on deep in the human subconscious mind that we have to understand and know are there and know how to deal with. So, the next slide... Um, I've included this in many of my presentations, and uh, this is image number four now <clears throat> for the presentation tonight. I call this the tree of all evil, okay? And it's, if you really understand this little symbolic model that I've come up with for how evil becomes manifested in our world and perpetuates the human condition of slavery, you'll, it'll it'll go a long way. This will help you go a long way to understanding what's really going on in the mind. So if you look at the manifestation of evil, in other words, the expression of it through human behavior as being, uh, uh, having willful ignorance as its main predecessor, all right? Only people who are truly ignorant can behave in an evil way. Okay, can actually support slavery, condone it, and then enact it and make it manifest in our world. You have to be a willfully ignorant person in some form or fashion in order to do that. You really have to be willfully ignorant to see it happening and not want to, not care, not want to do anything about it, not want to become involved. That level of willful ignorance, people would say, well, that not that the, the root cause? Isn't that the the root causal condition that we're, we're fighting against? No, it's not. That is a manifestation itself. So I put that at the very top of this tree. You can look at that as those are the high level, high level um, uh, leaves, the twigs, the s very small twigs of the tree. Okay, maybe where the fruit grows from. All right, the ends of the of the tree of, of its twigs and, and its leaves, the end very ends of its branches. All right, that's the thing that eventually bears fruit, bears the fruit that we call evil in the world. There's something that goes beneath that willful level of ignorance, that that cognitive dissonance, that psychological denial. And if we liken this model to a tree, it would be the larger branches on the tree. Okay, that come out of the trunk of the tree. And this is the psychological dynamic of the fear of owning responsibility in life. So the fear of owning one's own personal responsibility to choose rightful action over wrongful actions. See, people don't want to choose that for themselves. They think that they can abdicate that personal responsibility to choose right action over wrong action. And they can hand that off to someone else and they can say, well, you make the decisions about what's right and wrong. You make the decisions about how I should behave. I don't want that responsibility. 
Okay, I just want to follow orders. I just want to do what I'm told. I just want to obey. This is the psychology of obedience. And people may think, well, well then, hey, that must be the root factor, right? That must be the thing that really, you know, creates that willful ignorance. And it, it does, it contributes to it, but there's something that creates that refusal to take ownership, to take full ownership of one's personal responsibility over their own actions, for their own actions. There is something that lies beneath that psychologically. So in other words, we're asking the question really here, why, repeatedly, why? So why is someone willfully ignorant and willing to carry out evil? And the answer then comes back. They really don't want personal responsibility to choose rightful actions over wrongful actions for themselves. They think that they could somehow abdicate that and hand that off to someone else. So then the question becomes, why do they want to do that? So we have to go deeper to look for another causal factor until we get down to the prime root causal factor for these conditions. So why don't people want to own their own personal responsibility? Why don't they want to be a true adult? Okay, we're really talking about remaining a child on into into physical adulthood. Okay, we have a whole lot of absolute grown children walking around in society. People who have grown up physically, but they have not grown up mentally, they have not grown up emotionally, they have not grown up psychologically, and they most certainly haven't grown up spiritually. Okay? So the question then becomes, why? Why does someone not want to grow up? Why does someone not want to own their own personal responsibility to choose for themselves right over wrong? And the answer to that is there's another underlying psychological condition that precedes that condition, and that's called self-loathing. The psychological condition of deep down inside, maybe not at a conscious level, at a subconscious level, not really liking yourself, and in fact possibly going so far as to hate yourself. And this is something that people get very, very upset about when you talk about. They don't want to hear this said. They don't want to hear it spoken out out aloud. They don't want to hear it spoken out in the open just like this. Because people go, what you're saying, Mark, is that most people here on earth hate themselves. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Exactly. And most people won't just come out and say it just like that right to you. We are a self-loathing species. We are a species who ultimately doesn't have true self-worth and true self-respect. How could we? We would be a free people if we had true self-respect and truly valued ourselves and our own lives and our own rights and our own freedom. We wouldn't be, certainly be in this condition. I'm not talking about certain individuals do have true self-respect. But I'm talking about society as a whole. In the aggregate, again, generalization. Generalizations are valid in most cases. Okay? So I'm not making a total blanket statement here and say everybody is in a state of psychological self-loathing. But are most people on earth? Yes, most people are in this psychological condition called self-loathing. Because they never really developed true self-respect. Coming up on another break, we'll pick this up on the other side. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. Stay with us, everyone. Thank you. 
Welcome back everyone, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. I was talking about what I call the tree of all evil, trying to get down to the root psychological condition that drives the human condition of slavery. We talked about willful ignorance stemming from the fear of owning one's personal responsibility to choose right action over wrong action, in turn stemming from issues of self-loathing, of not really deeply forming a good and positive relationship with oneself. You know, uh, we haven't really developed as a species true self-respect. We still think that somewhere deep down inside, we think that we deserve what's happening. You know, we think that um, we're not really worthy. These feelings of unworthiness, okay, of not being good enough, of um, really, let's call it what it is, self-hatred. Only a self-hating people could possibly put up with slavery, okay? It isn't because we cannot change this condition, that it somehow magically must be this way. We're doing this to ourselves at some level because we won't change our behavior. Order followers do this. Order followers, without order followers, okay? Slavery could not be maintained. I'm talking about even ball and chain slavery, physical ball and chain shackle slavery. You look at slavery during the Civil War period, physical slavery during the Civil War period of American history. That was maintained by what you called house slaves and other people who worked on plantations to actually keep that situation in place. They couldn't have done that on their own. Plantation owners couldn't have done that on their own. Well, today you have military and police who act as the house slaves of the modern era. You know, they're the enforcers. They're the people who are the order followers for the psychopathic ruling class, quote-unquote, you know, the, those who see themselves as our rulers, as our masters. And they follow their bidding. They follow their orders. It's as simple as that. And anybody who doesn't understand that that's the case, you're asleep. You, you don't understand what's going on. Okay? Because without those people following those orders, they couldn't get a thing done. They're a bunch of old men who couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag. Okay? So they need enforcers to do their dirty work for them because they're too cowardly and weak to actually physically get that done on their own. And if people knew that they were physically being held in, in hostage under duress, okay, they would rebel. They would physically rebel. But they've convinced people that there's somehow freedom in this world through, you know, uh, the voting process and through the process called government when it's just a state of violence, you know, it's just a, uh, a system of violence that it's enforced by violent order followers. That's all it is now. It's all it ever has been. That's all government ever will be. Whether you understand that or not doesn't make a difference. It's true. doesn't make a difference what you happen to think now. That's the actual fact of the matter. So without people being self-loathing, 
they would not do those behaviors. So what I'm saying here is, are, are all cops self-loathing people? Yes. Blanket statement. Every single one, bar none. 100% without one exception. Every cop is a self-loathing human being. Is every single soldier in the world who's following the bidding of these psychopathic ruling class so-called elitists a self-loathing individual? Yes. Every single last one, bar none. Bar none. Because to do those jobs deep in the subconscious mind, you must hate yourself. The end. That's the way that it is. Doesn't make a difference whether you disagree. Doesn't make a difference whether you don't understand. That's what's going on in the mind. That's what's going on in their mind, whether they understand it or not. It follows invariably, unwaveringly, logically. You cannot support a condition of slavery for yourself and your own species unless somewhere deep down inside yourself you hate yourself. And I don't, whoever wants to argue with it, argue till you're blue in the face. I'm not here to even have a debate about that. I'm telling you that's how it is. Not because I say so, because I have recognized it as such. Understanding enough about psychology, understanding enough about the subconscious mind, that that is what's going on in them, whether they know it or not. And yes, blanket statement, all. See, the ego doesn't like that word. The ego doesn't like every, all, without exception. It hates that, it rebels against that. The ego can't stand a blanket statement. Well, guess what, folks? Some blanket statements are true. Many of them are not, but some are. There are certain things that are always true, that are always a certain way. And I'm telling you, this is one of them. People who support a system of slavery are self-loathing beings. That's it. You cannot love yourself. You cannot have deep, true self-respect if you are an order follower. It is not possible. They are contradictory in nature. Those two psychological states are contradictory in nature. In their, in their very essence. And we need to understand this clear as day. And state it that way, unapologetically. Order followers are self-loathing. Order followers are self-loathing beings. Always have been. And when you become a person who's no longer in the state of self-loathing and has developed true self-respect, you won't do the job of following someone else's orders. That's the truth. As painful as that may be, that is eternal truth. So get over it if you don't agree. Or if you don't think that's how it really is. Because I'm not here trying to convince you. I'm telling you openly that's how it is. And this is the problem. This is the problem. If you want to be free, you have to develop your own self-respect and then help other people to develop self-respect for themselves. And that's the most difficult work there is to do in the world. Think about it. To help someone else, to influence another human being, to, be, to start to love themselves. 
Who could think of something that's more difficult to do than that? Some people would say it can't be done. How could you do that? No, you can't make someone do it, but you can be an influence for them. You could be a role model for them. You could help them in that process. You can show them how they've been hating themselves and treating themselves horribly and supporting their own horrible treatment through their own wrong thinking, through their own misguided, mind-controlled forms of thought. And in doing so, you could help them to start reversing that self-loathing behavior and get on the path to true self-respect, which is the only thing that can ever cure self-loathing. Believe me, I know, folks, I was in this state. I was in it deep for, for at least 10 years of my life or more. So, it can be overcome. It is not a hopeless situation. But see... Is self-loathing the bottom of the rabbit hole? Is that as deep as it really goes? Or is there something beyond that psychologically? Is there a deeper psychological condition or factor at work that creates self-loathing in a human being? And the answer is yes, there is. And while I would put self-loathing as the trunk of the tree of evil, that's the trunk, that's the part we really we can see that's holding up the rest of the evil structure. Okay? The structure of refusal to own personal responsibility and step into true adulthood. The refusal to look at that which is. To stay in willful ignorance, psychological denial, cognitive dissonance. This structure, these psychological structures are upheld by that self-loathing which is the root of I'm sorry, which is the trunk of the tree of evil. But what are the roots of that tree? What are the things from from where the tree actually grows from that are, that are, is underneath the ground that is even more difficult to see than even that somebody may not really have true self-respect? Many people can see that. But how many people can answer the question, why do people hate themselves so much? What are the roots of the tree of evil? I'll answer that question on the other side of this break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. Stay with us. You know the day destroys the night. Night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side. Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. Before the break, I was uh, just going to get to what lies at the root, the root psychological cause of all evil in this world. And it's something that many people will not have even considered. And when I tell people what it is, they'll be like, that can't be what it is. But yes, it is. See, something underlies willful ignorance and the fear of owning personal responsibility and even self-loathing due to a lack of self-respect in one's life. And that root causal factor is psychological parental abandonment issues. Once again, the root causal factor 
of the human condition and something that I'm going to be talking a whole lot about here on What on Earth is Happening and especially in future shows and in future presentations. Psychological parental abandonment issues. Now what does this mean? This means literally what it says. Having been abandoned by one or both parents and not just physically. Being abandoned mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. It doesn't just mean that a parent is absent physically. It means that they are absent or unavailable psychologically or emotionally in a child's life. That they did not truly provide positive upbringing values to raise that child and instill values for truth and right within them. They weren't there for that child's upbringing or raising. Okay, they were cut off. They were emotionally unavailable. They were spiritually unavailable. And in many cases, physically unavailable. Physically absent. Not in all cases, however. So, we need to look at the role of a parent, first of all. To understand why this statement is true. To understand what does, what does, what does parenting actually provide for a child? What do parents actually do? What is their role? What are they there to provide, to do for a child that they have, that they birth into the world? Well, the parent's role is twofold. If you break it down as simple as possible, it is to provide nurturing, meaning provide for the child's needs, the physical needs of the child, the emotional needs of the child, the mental needs of the child, the spiritual needs of the child. It is a nurturing instinct. It is a nurturing role. That is the first half of what parenting is about. The second part of it is protection. You are taking on a life that is not yet responsible for itself, a mind that has to be positively imbued with values, meaning positively programmed given correct information into the body computer that is the mind, the human mind. So the parent's role, this twofold role, you are nurturing the child by giving them what they need, providing what they need, and then you are protecting them from harmful influences in the external environment or even possibly ways that they may harm themselves because they don't have enough knowledge about how to operate in the world. So it is nurturing and protection. That's the key two roles of parenting that we need to understand and keep in mind because it'll make so much more sense when we understand this is what's driving the human condition. The people aren't growing up because they're experiencing often subtle and nested subconscious psychological trauma due to parents having failed in their roles of nurturing and protection of the child. So what I tell people moving on to slide number five is is that the condition of humanity is that of an abandoned child, a, a very bratty abandoned child at that. 
I have a slide here that says this is the psychological condition of humanity with a bratty, maybe four or five year old boy screaming at the top of his lungs in the foreground of the picture while his parents are sitting in the back background ignoring him with his kid sister on the couch paying attention to her and they're like you know unavailable for him or not paying attention to him and i think this is the ideal and perfect visual image for what humanity has become and currently is right now a bratty psychologically abandoned child that is throwing a tantrum that is throwing a temper tantrum okay we may not be throwing that tantrum externally but we're throwing it internally in our own mind in our own psyche in our own psychological makeup this is our condition see we have to understand that when something traumatic occurs we don't often are not even often consciously aware of it later in life see that's because the mind is split we are a very schismatic type of being we have a schism that is built in within us and this is the difference between the conscious and the subconscious minds the conscious mind is the aware part of the mind and to understand this we can look at this simple model that i've built on slide number six moving on to slide six discussing the conscious versus subconscious mind this simple model explains that the conscious mind is the aware part of the personality i describe it as the awake or the aware mind and it forms about 15 percent some psychologists and physiologists may say even less than that you know some people place this around 12 percent as low as 12 percent I'd say it's probably around 15% of the personality. 15% of the whole makeup of the being. And the conscious mind's function is to process information that's coming at it, that's arriving in to the human psyche through environmental sensory input. Coming at it from the environment. And the conscious mind is scanning. It's always scanning the environment. It's saying... Do I recognize that? Do I know what that is? If I come across an unknown, I have to identify it or try to identify it. So it's trying to identify patterns, trying to identify meaning, it's trying to identify purpose, it's trying to identify any threats that may be present in the environment as well. That's what the conscious mind does. It's our active component, our awake component. Now, you could look at things like critical thinking. That's done in the conscious mind, in the active, awake, and aware part of the personality. When we're breaking down information to try to make sense of it and understand what it means, critical thinking, that's done by the conscious mind. Planning and strategizing, that's also done by the conscious mind. Our short-term memory, things that just happened, we are all dealing with those memories through the conscious mind, the aware part of ourselves our judgment and decision-making processes, okay, based on the information we have taken in, to break down that information and come to an understanding of it and then make a, a judgment or a decision regarding it. That's done by the conscious mind. Our willpower, 
is part of the conscious mind. Our drive. You know, I don't mean the subconscious motivations. I'm talking about when we're actively making a decision to do a thing. That's in the, in the conscious part of the mind, the conscious awareness. And then, of course, morality is processed through and works through the conscious mind of the individual. Conscience. The knowledge of the difference between right and wrong action is processed and filtered through the conscious part of our personality, the conscious mind. But if the conscious mind only makes up about 15% of our total awareness, well, what makes up the other percent of our psyche, the other percent of our whole personality? Well, that's the subconscious mind. And it's just what it means. It's exactly what it means. The, the, the prefix sub means beneath. Beneath the conscious awareness. At a level that is hidden. Because it is under something else. It is veiled. You could say it's buried. Deep down in the dark recesses. We'll look at what the qualities of the subconscious mind are on the other side of this break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. back everyone to the second hour of what on earth is happening here on republic broadcasting i'm your host mark passio my website what on earth is before the break we were talking about the difference between the conscious mind versus the subconscious mind we were getting ready to talk about the subconscious mind and what it is and what its function is so it means literally underneath of the conscious mind. Okay? So this is what I would call the asleep part of the personality or the unaware part of ourselves. It's where programming operates from. Things that we do unconsciously, things that we do robotically. All right? And some people would say, very unfortunately, it comprises about 85% of the total makeup of the human being the subconscious mind, psychologically. Things like automated bodily functions, you know? We don't think about breathing or digestion, we just do it. Well, that's ultimately run by the subconscious part of the psyche. Instinct, fight or flight modes of response, all right? Instinctual and survival responses, controlled by the subconscious. Our habits, again, programming, is all within the subconscious part of the mind. Our long-term memory, things that happened to us a long time ago that we recall and remember, stored in the subconscious. And our initial emotional responses to things that we see and hear, very, very important. 
very ruled by programming, believe it or not. The initial emotional responses to what we see and hear all ruled by subconscious programming. So what does the subconscious mind actually do? What is it? What does it do? What's its function? Well, the main function of the subconscious mind is to protect the conscious mind from the re-experiencing of past traumatic experiences. And see, this is a very unique function to the human animal. We can relive within our mind, in the visualization process, in our imagination, which is a very powerful force, and a force that really can assist us in so many ways. But it can also be a detriment, the imagination. There's a dark side to it. There's a negative side to it. Our imagination and visualization capabilities of our minds can often allow us to re-envision a horrible event that we may have once gone through. Physically, emotionally, psychologically, okay? And we don't want to be in that state again. We don't want to relive a past trauma because we're going to feel the mind is so powerful that when we relive a past trauma mentally, psychologically, emotionally, right, we actually generate the neuropeptides that make us feel a physical response in the body. This is called stress. That's why if you think about a negative event happening and try to relive it, your body will tense up you'll be actually undergoing physical stress, which is really not good for the physical body. It makes blood flow away from the torso and away from the brain. Higher thought is impeded. Digestive function is impeded. Moving the nutrients to places that they need to go in the body is impeded. So you don't want to be in stress all the time. You want to be as stress-free as possible. You want to be aware of what's going on, but staying in constant stress would certainly take its toll on your body. So <clears throat> the imagination makes it possible for us to relive past traumas at a, at a conscious level and therefore re-experience physical stress, which is bad for the physiology. So as a protective mechanism, the subconscious mind acts to nest these former traumatic experiences. It holds them in a state where we're not aware of them in the unconscious or subconscious part of the mind. And so we can't keep bringing them up to the surface and reliving them. Now, people will say, well, isn't that a good thing? Well, yes, for the reasons I've just described, but no for more subtle reasons. It's not a good thing. It's something that in the short term helps us not experience, relive past traumas and create the physiological responses to those traumas in the body again. But long term, it's a bad thing that the mind works like this, okay? Because by not dealing with those past traumas and by this part of the mind just basically putting them to the back burner, digging a hole and putting them in the hole and throwing dirt on top of them, we're not really truly healing that traumatic experience. We're only ignoring it. We're only pushing it away or nesting it down deeper into a hidden area of ourselves, what I would call the shadow side, the shadow self. That's what the subconscious is. And by doing that, 
we're never really truly working with that trauma to heal it fully. And therefore, we are still a traumatized individual, although at a subconscious level. And the conscious mind isn't even deeply aware at an awake level, an awake and aware level, that the being, the personality, the essence of who we are, is actually still experiencing and undergoing trauma deep down inside. That's why this part of the mind can be very insidious. If we don't learn how to work with it and make it an asset to ourselves by going into the shadow material, bringing the trauma up forward to the conscious level of awareness, confronting it, working with it, healing it. Very, very, very painful and difficult work to do. But most of us loathe doing that work. And that's why we become self-loathing. Because these traumas that we have experienced are defining who we are to ourselves for the reason that we never are working with them to heal them. We're just pushing them away and allowing the subconscious to do this quote-unquote protective mechanism to push these traumas deeper down inside of ourselves. So, is parental abandonment a trauma? Well, you damn better well believe that it is. You better know that it is. It's one of the worst traumatic experiences that can ever happen to any individual, let alone a child. It's, it's hard on us enough when a parent may abandon us, not want to talk to us anymore, or die when we're older, when we're adults. But imagine how a child takes those things. Imagine that level of trauma. And many people that I'm talking to out there, listenership, will have experienced this as a child. And what I'm suggesting is that most people, in some form or fashion, have experienced parental abandonment as a child. Whether it be physical or not. Because there's many more forms of parental abandonment other than a parent being physically absent. We have to keep that in mind. Again, they could be emotionally absent, spiritually absent, not providing any true nurturing at a spiritual level, at a level of values to us, whether they're physically present or not. And this trauma has been largely undealt with and unconfronted unworked with by the vast, vast majority of human beings. And I would suggest this is why humanity as a whole is a self-loathing species. Why we don't have true self-respect. Why we continue to refuse to own our own personal responsibility and why we remain in willful ignorance to the difference between right and wrong. I'm going to pick this up on the other side of the break and then we're going to go to your calls in this hour. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere.
Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. If you're following along with the images for tonight's show, you could find them on whatonearthishappening.com slash radio on the radio listen page of my website, right underneath the player. Uh, I'm moving on to slide number seven now and going to talk a little bit about something I've talked about on past shows, uh, something that is known as in psychology as the abuse victim cycle. And this is something that we also need to understand and how it works in conjunction in many cases with the subconscious mind in order to keep people on a treadmill when it comes to not healing trauma. You'll notice that if you look at this graph that I made here uh, in slide number seven, it's almost largely red. These are the danger areas that we don't want to be in. And there's only one place right in the center, right in the middle that is green, that is, you know, where you would be healed from. And I'll explain this in a moment. See, we're really talking about the root causal factor psychologically for the human condition of slavery being a traumatic experience in childhood. And, you know, we're going to look at this from the microscopic perspective, the microcosmic perspective, I'm sorry, I should say, The microcosmic perspective is actual physical parental abandonment issues. And again, the the parents, the biological parents of a child, you know, not being there in whatever capacity, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, you name it. That is still what I would call the microcosmic manifestation of this trauma. There is a macrocosmic manifestation of this trauma that I call cosmic abandonment. And we're going to save that for another show, another time. I'll be building up to that uh, for people that may want to skip ahead or have already skipped ahead by watching the Cosmic Abandonment presentation that I gave because I had an opportunity to give a presentation as part of a meetup group here in the Philadelphia area, right here in Philadelphia, actually, uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, I do have a video on my website called Cosmic Abandonment, but it's kind of like skipping ahead at this point. I'm trying to lay out at least the microcosmic variation on this theme and help people to understand how this is going on in an everyday uh, sense uh, with many, many, many people on the earth. And that's why we're continuing to support, condone, and enact slavery on this planet. So if we understand that abandonment issues, parental abandonment issues in general are traumatic experiences, and of course they are, We have to understand the abuse victim cycle. And here's how it works. A traumatic abuse of some type occurs, or chronic abuse occurs, and chronic means it's ongoing. It's an ongoing state of abuse. That is occurring in an individual's life. Two things usually happen psychologically within the person's mind who is experiencing the trauma. And this is whether they're witnessing the trauma or whether they're directly being affected by the trauma. Okay, this works for direct experiencers and those who are witnessing the trauma take place. Okay, so these two emotional, psychological reactions are the negative pathways. It's what you would call the things, the the reactions that 
perpetuate the cycle. And what we want to do is get out of the cycle. We don't want the cycle to perpetuate the abuse victim cycle. We want to break it. That's the only way we're really going to develop true freedom here on this planet is by breaking the abuse victim cycle. So the first thing that could happen is the experiencer in whatever capacity, whether they directly experience or witness this trauma, will identify with the abuser, the one who did the traumatic thing to the other person. Okay, And they'll identify with them because they'll say, well, I'd rather be the one who's on the giving end of this hurt, of this harm, than be on the receiving end. It's a lot better to be, to be the person who's beating on somebody than to get beat. That may be one way, one perspective that they look at this traumatic experience from. Okay? So then what, they'll, what will happen is that all the negative emotions that they've acquired through the experience of this trauma, they will turn inward toward themselves. If they identify with, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, they will turn outward against others, not inward. Pardon me. <clears throat> they will turn their negative emotions outward toward others when they identify with the abuser, the one who's doing the abuse. Because they'll say, again, I'd rather be on the dishing out end than on the receiving end. And then the experiencer, the one who either was on the receiving end or witnessed the abuse, becomes the abuser later in life because they have not dealt with the trauma in a positive way, in a way that can actually bring it forward and heal it. So they go out and then they experience, uh, they abuse other people. And therefore, they perpetuate the cycle because then someone else is being abused and then they may do the same thing to others. And they may go through the same split that I've just explained half of. The experiencer identifying with the abuser, their emotions turn outward, they become like the abuser, and then they abuse others. And they can also abuse themselves when they are the one who is doing the abuse. Because you, you can become an abuser and a victim simultaneously if you're doing the abuse to yourself. Okay? So you have to keep in mind that's also possible to abuse yourself while you identify with the abuser and become the abuser in this abuse victim cycle. The other psychological dynamic that could play out is that the experiencer, whether again direct experiencer or indirect through witnessing the trauma, will identify with the victim, the one who uh, was abused in this uh, cr chronic traumatic circumstance. And their emotions will instead turn inward against themselves. And they will become the victim because their rationale is, well, it was really morally wrong for this person to do this to this other person. I would rather be on the receiving end of it. Therefore, I'm not actively harming somebody else. Okay? And therefore, I'd rather take abuse from others rather than dish out abuse to others. So then, since they're identifying with the victim and their emotions are turning inward, they become the victim later in life. And they allow themselves to be walked all over. And then they are victimized by other people and the cycle perpetuates itself. And not only are they victimized by other people, in many cases, they victimize themselves, abuse themselves, and stay in a, in a victim mind state. And this is all because they have not gone into the subconscious mind, into the basement of 
Those traumatic experiences brought them up to the level of conscious awareness into the conscious mind and dealt with them in a holistic healing way. They are loath to do that work because that work is painful. Because it does involve a certain amount of the reliving of that trauma. And there are other methods that you can use to bring it forward to the conscious level. I know my guest from last week, Jay Parker, is a big fan of emotional freedom technique, or EFT. And that helps to bring this forward in a physical capacity, too. And it also helps to heal in a very physical way, believe it or not, through tapping. Because you are alleviating stressor points in the body. It's a form of acupuncture, EFT. A gentler form of it. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break, and we'll be going to your calls in this hour. Don't go anywhere, folks. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. up from your sleep if it's your soul that you want to keep great song there by spirit caravan we're not going to stop until we wake this world up that's what we're going to do to drive forward with knowledge care and willpower until this world is awake no matter what it takes to do that That's what the great work is, ladies and gentlemen. Before the break, we were talking about the abuse victim cycle and how the vast majority of what it creates are people going right back into the cycle because they either identify with the abuser and then they become an abuser or they identify with the the victim and then they become the victim. There's a narrow pathway, the middle path, that one can take to become healed and that heal, healing modality happens through applied knowledge, care, and willpower. And you know what? It doesn't have to just be internally from the individual. The individual can get help from someone else who is more knowledgeable than themselves, from someone else who cares and who has the will to work with them and help them. So it's not like that all has to be inborn. The person has to want help. They have to want to be healed. Somewhere along the line, whenever somebody who is in in any kind of a cycle that is holding them back, whether it be abuse, victimization, being an abuser, you know, or um, addiction of any kind, they have avenues that they can go to. They don't have to just suddenly magically get this information themselves in many cases they're not strong enough to do that it has to be brought to them this is what interventions are all about i'm suggesting humanity needs an intervention and it needs to be directed by the people who are consciously aware of what's going on and we need to tell these people hey you're not well out in the open unapologetically it's not okay what you're doing 
You're not mentally well. You're not spiritually well. You do need healing. doesn't matter whether they want to hear it or not. The problem is most people refuse to do that. Because they're afraid of the reaction on the other side. You go up to a drug addict and who's your friend and you say, Hey, you're really screwing yourself up, man. I don't want to see you do this to yourself. You know, what's the initial reaction? You don't know about me. You don't know what I need or what's good for me. You're telling me I'm messing myself up. That's the initial cognitive dissonance. They're in denial that they're screwed up. Well, that's where most of humanity is when it comes to the truth. They're in denial about it. They think they're not doing harm by their ignorance. When every day they're doing more and more harm, not only to themselves, but to everyone around them. And until enough people buck up and get in their face and tell them it's not okay to stay ignorant that way and keep bringing them information whether they want to hear it or not. Not violently, but forcefully. Meaning keep putting it in their face until, I mean, until the point where they say, I will not talk to you at all anymore. I want absolutely nothing to do with you. That's the point where I say, I'm going to, that's the point where I'll say, okay, I'll stop. You've now told me I absolutely don't want to talk to you anymore. But until someone says that to me, in which case I completely cut them off from my life, from interaction with me at all. If you don't want to hear about this, you don't interact with me. Period. If I think you're ignorant of it, I'm going to speak it. I'm going to bring it to your attention. Doesn't matter what your state of readiness to hear it is. And if you tell me you absolutely don't want to hear it, then there will be no interaction from me. That's it. Hardcore. Hardcore. And the problem is, the problem is not that approach, ladies and gentlemen. If you think that's the problem, you are wrong. You are part of the problem if you think that approach is the problem. The problem is the exact opposite approach where people will not speak this information to others. That's the problem because they're too timid. They're too afraid. Ultimately, because they're cowards and they're still in a state of self-loathing. When you're out of a state of self-loathing, you don't give a damn what anybody else thinks of what you're saying as long as you know it's the truth. And as long as you know that integrated into the personality, that information will help and will do no harm. And I do know that. And therefore, I'm going to speak it. I'm going to speak it. And the problem is we don't have enough people with that kind of courage and persistence and will. No, they're still cowardly and lazy. They don't understand what the real great work is. So I'm going to just wrap this part up and I'm going to pause there. I'm going to take some calls in this hour. And then in the next segment, I'll n- next hour, I'll get into a little bit more about parental abandonment issues. And if there's time this week, I'm going to do an actual psychological case study live on the air of a famous individual, someone who I formerly respected and then developed a great amount of disdain for, but then kind of was able to somewhat let go of that disdain when I recognized he was suffering from deep childhood traumatic parental abandonment issues. And it'll be very interesting to break down this dynamic on the air of a famous individual. 
Now, I won't tell you who that is. You'll have to continue to listen to find out. But um, I just want to finish saying about the abuse victim cycle. The way out of it is very narrow. Most people never break that cycle. It's one of the most powerful things, forms of programming to break out of because most people make the mistake of either choosing to identify with the abuser or with the victim. And again, to gain the knowledge of what it takes to break this cycle, to gain the knowledge of the psyche and, and how the subconscious mind is ruling this trauma, you don't have to do all of that yourself. You can receive help from other concerned people around you if they have that knowledge on how to do it on what to, what to look for and what areas to, to explore and go into in the psyche. See, you have to often talk your way through it. Get at these root psychological causal issues that are undealt with. And that's a painful thing. And again, I was talking before the break, you could supplement that with different healing techniques. Meditation is one of them properly used. Okay? Concentration is another concentrative techniques, visualization techniques, EFT, emotional freedom technique, all of these modalities can be combined and used in different ways to create a healing methodology for someone who's experiencing traumatic circumstances in their life, often nested subconscious trauma that has never been dealt with. That shadow material has never been drudged up. All right, so that's what it takes to get out of the abuse victim cycle. Applied knowledge, applied care, and applied willpower continuously until that trauma is dealt with and healed, until it is brought out of the netherworld, the recesses of the subconscious mind, and worked with at the level of the conscious aware mind. Very, very, very difficult work to do. Not blowing smoke up anybody's rear end, not telling you that that is easy to do. It is not easy to do. For me, dealing with my own parental abandonment issues, which I will also talk about after I break down a case study of this famous individual I'm going to talk about, because I'm going to lay it all out on the table and talk about what I experienced as a child. Okay, We have to get all, all that dirty laundry out in the open. You know, it has to become personal. I'm not one for keeping it unpersonal or dispersonal. All right? I'm going to talk about my own parental abandonment issues. Okay? And how long it took me to deal with them. And in many ways, I'm still dealing with them. But I'm working with that. I work with that shadow material. I don't ignore it. I bring it to the level of conscious awareness and deal with it and work with it until it is healed and it does not subconsciously program me anymore. Many people, again, are very loath to do that work because it is not pleasant. It is not pleasant work. But unless we do it, we don't maintain mental sanity and therefore we become insane. See, sanity, cleanliness of the mind. Sanitation of the mind. That's why we call it being sane, being clean in the mind, having dealt with all that subconscious crud. You wouldn't think of eating off the dirty plate over and over again, but we're not cleaning our minds. I'm going to go to some calls in this last segment, 
and then we'll pick this up in hour number three. Stay with us. Listening to what on earth is happening here on Republic Broadcasting. Let's go to the phones for this segment and see what the callers have to say about this topic or anything else you want to bring up for that matter. Uh, Elaine in California, you're live on what on earth is happening. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mark. I listened to your opening question and I uh, I thought I had a possible thought, answer maybe that might uh, fit into the uh, conversation. And after hearing, you know, your your um, your talk on this, of course, it dovetails off into many different uh, thoughts, but I just want to say that um, I can relate to what you're talking about, and the bottom line that, you know, it, the sword has to face the fire. And I was reminded of uh, a couple scriptures in... Uh, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament, both telling us the same thing. And that was because they love not the truth, that I will give them up to a reprobate mind, right. that they will believe their own lies. Right. And when I, when I checked that out in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the word reprobate meant rejected, yep. abandoned, depraved, unprincipled, wicked, morally depraved, unworthy, unacceptable. And I personally have always wondered, I'm tying something else, another thought into this whole pot here. I'll never forget something that Michael Tessarian said, and I'll throw this in as a caveat. He said in one of his talks that it's not hate or violence or even uh, anger that are the root causes of the evil on this planet. He said, no, none of those. It's false love. And until we as individuals can face that fire and have a desire to know the truth, yes, we've, I've, I can experience, I've experienced the parental abandonment that you've mentioned and most of us have. But there's something in the core of a, of a person, and it's, it must be there, the desire to know the truth, even if you don't even have the questions to even That's look right. up and ask. That's right. You've got to have the desire. And if you have that, those mighty forces will come to your assistance, and they will lead you on your journey. That's exactly right, Elaine. Uh, I want to thank you for that comment and uh, those insights, because it's exactly true. You know, if we don't develop the desire to want to know what's going on, not only just in our world, but within ourselves, this is about what's going on inside of ourselves. You have to want to know 
that that deep nested subconscious psychological information about yourself how could you possibly love yourself if you don't understand your shadow side you know it you, you brought up a scriptural quote about you know turning away from truth and what will happen you know um, you know, you, it, it harkens back to like in the book of Hosea where it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And I would say we're destroyed for lack of self-knowledge, for knowledge about how we work and knowledge about what's going on deep down inside of ourselves at places we don't see at a conscious level. But another uh, scripture from the apocryphal scriptures that aren't included in the official canon of the Bible, you know, you look at the, the scriptures from the Nag Hammadi library, I believe it's the Gospel of Thomas and the Gnostics, uh, Gnostic Gospels, where uh, the, the Christ figure in the Gnostic Gospels is saying, if you bring forth from yourself uh, that which is inside of you, that which you bring forth will be your salvation. And if you do not bring forth that which is inside of you, that which you have refused to bring forth will be your destruction. I mean, very, very profound words, and it, it speaks to this very dynamic. If we don't bring forward that which is inside of ourselves at the subconscious level, deal with it work with it, confront it, heal it. If it's traumatic, it needs to be confronted and healed. We're going to keep creating at an unconscious level and keep experiencing completely chaotic results that we're getting because we're not working at a conscious level with that shadow material. So very, very, very profound insights there. And I want to thank you for your call. Uh, let's go take another call. Let's move on to um, Scott in Oregon. You're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Scott, are you still there? Hello, Scott. If you're there, go ahead. You're live on What on Earth is Happening. Scott dropped. Okay, no problem. All right, so let's move on to another caller then. Let's try David in Canada. David, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Hey, Mark, how are you? Doing well. What do you have for us tonight? I must uh, I must say that, uh, just a comment to begin with, and that uh, a topic-related issue um, thing, uh, proposition. My, my, my background is fairly similar to yours, Catholic. However, I was raised by a man who was very knowledgeable, much like yourself. Delved, read thousands of books, 15,000 books at least, the whole library lost, delved into occult, mysteries, everything. And and unfortunately for myself, I was raised by this person. He, he divulged some of this information to me through my life. However, until I got to your podcast and the information that you're divulging and how you divulged it, a lot of this information was not really... I had not collated it correctly. Now, getting to this point of what you're, you're going on here in terms of the tree, basically a tree of ascension to evil and evil ideas. He posed this, he died in 2010, and he posed this riddle to me, and he basically said, in a spiritual context, what what is it that human beings do? What do we do? What do we all do? It's the one thing we all do. We all do it. And, uh, to the chase I didn't have an answer and he answered and he said David we we are we do this one thing we we emote we're emoting machines 
biological molding machines. And ever since that point, I've contemplated this idea and how it affects myself. And I understand these, like, I've, I've, I'm up to podcast 60. I'm like feverishly going through your, your material because it, it has affected me. It has brought so many concepts into a light. It's open. It, the, 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 uh, the art stone has been removed and light is flowing in. Um, to use something I believe I'm paraphrasing, I'm saying correctly in terms of Masonic tradition. In any case, so, like you're going back to, you go to the parental abandonment issues, and if we were born as an open slate or fairly relatively blank slate, and this concept of we being emoting beings, then at that very outset of our lives and our experiences within this, this, this world that we perceive through our senses, through, through the methods that the trivium lays out, and whether we realize it or not, these are concepts that are very, um, it's all new to me as well. And, and, but I understand the principles, and I, I do believe that we. I, that's the truth is that this is how we're affected, and and we don't under, we don't understand these modalities, understandings of perception of our psyche, then we are truly lost. And and it is until we come to this concept, these understandings, that we, we we start to dig ourselves out from the hole, that we we, we start to climb Jacob's ladder. That's exactly to, right. To elevate ourselves. You know, and that's, that's what this is ultimately all about. This is about confronting ourselves. People always want to point the finger outward about the problems in the world, but so many people are still actively supporting this control system. We have to turn the finger inward and say, how am I a part of this? And what can I do to right. pull back my involvement from that? from those dynamics so that I can truly live like a free being that does not support this control system or this slavery for one moment any longer. It's a very difficult process, but we have to all look at ourselves in the eye, in the, in our inner self, in our inner eye, and, uh, and go through that process our, for ourselves to say, how can I pull my involvement back more and more and more each day until I'm not contributing to it whatsoever? Right. I agree. It is an like I mean, did you, did you not like? I felt this when I was a you know adolescent that, and I felt this all my life. That and, and you've expressed this is like, and you are expressing it is that this is change in this world is not possible uh, any other way other than on the individual way, That's on it. the individual by the individual. That's right, and it, it happens through understanding the mind, because the mind is what is ultimately manifesting our reality. Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. Today we're talking about the root psychological causal factors of the human condition called slavery. And if we're going to end that condition and become truly free beings, 
We have to understand what's going on deep down in the subconscious mind, in our own subconscious psychological makeup. I propose the model called the tree of evil in hour number one, the tree of all evil as I call it. Willful ignorance is the leaves and small twigs of that tree that bear the fruit ultimately of violence, chaos, destruction, slavery, you name it, everything that we consider bad. But underneath that willful ignorance, there's this childish notion of wanting to remain irresponsible, never really truly growing up psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, the fear of owning one's personal responsibility. Underneath that, self-loathing issues due to a lack of true self-respect, feelings of unworthiness that are inborn through traumatic circumstances and traumatic experiences that we underwent earlier in life. And finally, those, them, those feelings of self-loathing themselves are underlay by psychological parental abandonment issues. Whether they be physical, where the parent is actually not there, was not there for the child, or whether they are mental, emotional, psychological, and spiritual abandonment issues by parents toward children. That, gets, that trauma often gets buried into the subconscious mind. It's undealt with. The subconscious mind is performing this role of protecting the conscious mind from the reliving of trauma through visualization and imagination. So when that trauma gets nested, it's not often dealt with and healed. And we're carrying around these abandonment issues that are affecting our behavior without even knowing it at a conscious level. So, I'm going to offer a proof of this, and I would say this is a proof. It's not just a conjecture or a theory. It's a physical proof of what is going on in this world, and what underlies it are parental abandonment issues. Because what happens when we have parental abandonment issues is we attempt to substitute or create what's known in psychology as a proxy. A proxy is something that isn't actually that thing that we're going to fill in for the real thing. Okay? So, let's say people want to stop smoking, so they might substitute a fake cigarette as a proxy for a real cigarette. And just so that they have something in their hands, something they could do with their hands, this is actually a technique to quit smoking. Some people may substitute a lollipop, or some people may uh, suck on lifesavers or something like that. They're, it's a substitute, it's a proxy for doing something with the mouth and with the hands. Okay, And in doing that, you're putting something in place that isn't the real thing, but you're assuaging the desire for the real thing by doing that, by putting that proxy in place psychologically. So, in our world, because people are walking around with unresolved parental abandonment issues, and they want a mother or a father to be present, to have been present, or to be present now, when they are absent, when they are in fact absent. And again, whether that means physical absence or emotional, psychological absence, 
okay? It, it, it doesn't make a difference what kind of absence we're talking about. A parent could be physically there and still not really be providing what a child requires, okay? So what people will often do who carry around this trauma unresolved is they will attempt to substitute a proxy in place of the missing parent or the role, the missing role that the parent would normally be fulfilling but is not fulfilling. And that that vacuum is going unfulfilled in their life. So now they're going to try to substitute something in place of it. And this is done through government in our world. It's done through the political spectrum of government. All right? So I ask, I pose this question on slide number eight. Now these images, once again, are on the whatonearthishappening.com radio show page. whatonearthishappening.com slash radio. Okay? And they're right underneath the player. Unless you're listening with the podcast, in which case this is podcast number 147, and you can get the images there. So, I pose on, on slide number eight for this show or podcast, do you ever wonder why there are only really two major political parties? Yeah, we have some other minor parties, but they're, they get no attention. They get no media coverage. The government hypes up the two major parties. This is more than just a dialectical approach, like a Hegelian dialectical approach to get people to choose sides and then polarize them. There's something deeper psychologically going on here than just a dialectical approach. And the reason that there's only ever two major political parties, it doesn't really matter what country we're talking about, almost every country, this same scheme, this technique, whatever you want to call it, is practiced in, this method of manipulation. This is because there's only two parental figures. There's a a biological mother and a biological father. I'm moving on to slide number nine here. That's the answer to that question. The reason there's only two major political parties is there's only two biological parental figures in any given individual's life. Every individual was the byproduct of a man and a woman. That's how birth is given. I mean, unless, of course, you were, you know, given birth through surrogate birth of some kind or, you know, through artificial insemination, but... That sperm still came from a man and that egg still came from a woman. Okay? They're the archetypal parental figures. Doesn't make a difference what the living conditions of a person is in their life. They may have no no parents. They may be adopted. They may have one parent. One parent may have died. You know, they may have uh, two mothers and if they're being raised by a lesbian couple. They may have two fathers if they're being raised by a homosexual gay male couple. Okay, so it doesn't make a difference what those conditions are. Everyone is the byproduct of a man and a woman biologically. Okay, therefore they're the archetypal figures of parental figures. And again, we define the role of parenting in the first part of this podcast as providing nurturing and protection. And by and large, those roles are grouped by parent. Not completely. Both parents can provide both of those roles. Again, this is not a blanket statement. This is a blending. Okay, It's a mixture of the two. But again, the, the majority, at least archetypally, in the mind, in the psyche, we largely identify the nurturing role as being the mother's 
primary role and protection being her secondary role as a parent and primarily the father being the protector the primary as the primary role and having the nurturing aspect of the male father figure being the secondary role largely again not a blanket statement please do not take that as such men can be nurturers women can be protectors okay however as a generalization the male provides the protection role and supplements it with the nurturing role and the woman provides the nurturing role and may supplement it with the protecting role okay now if we look at the political spectrum and I'm using the I'm going to use the political spectrum or the political duality here in America as our model we'll see that each party each major party acts as a proxy for each parental figure and we'll pick that up on the other side of this break you're listening to what on earth is happening don't go anywhere Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. So before the break, I was about to get into a political model for psychological abandonment, for parental abandonment, I should say. These parental abandonment issues manifest in our replacing the parental figure with a proxy called government whereby government then becomes the parental figure. And it tells us everything that we need to be doing, and it provides for us, and it nurtures us, and it cares for us, and it protects us. Okay, And that's what people are giving up their sovereignty to, because they want to remain in this state of no personal responsibility to know and choose right behavior over wrong behavior, in a state of willful ignorance, And ultimately, they're not dealing with nested, subconscious, psychological, parental abandonment issues that that have gone unresolved. And therefore, what they're doing is they're trying to substitute the missing parent with government. And here's how it works. Each political party plays the role of a parental figure. And what the person who supports that party is doing is they're saying, this is my new mommy, or this is my new daddy. Because they're not present in my life in whatever capacity, whether physically, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, etc. Okay? And therefore, I'm going to substitute them using this proxy called government, and now it's the new mommy, or it's the new daddy. The nanny state, or the daddy state. You know, the big brother state. Okay? So... I'll use the political parties here in America as the example. The Democratic Party, the left wing, the liberal or neoliberal type. Okay? And again, yes, I'm generalizing here. I'm talking about personality types. You know, in general, the psychology and the personality of these types of individuals. It is a generalization, but it's a generalization that holds true. 
Okay? I call these all these people supporters of slavery. Like, if we stop euphemizing what these people really are and just calling them people who believe in government and think government's legitimate and or voters or whatever you want to call them, okay? If you believe in government, you're a supporter of slavery, the end, okay? You may not believe that. You may not accept that that's true. But once again, that's an eternal truth that you're never going to make untrue no matter how much you don't want to accept it or you say you don't believe it. It doesn't matter what you believe. If you believe in government and you support government, you're a supporter of slavery. If we're being honest with ourselves, and again, I recognize most people are not, they lie to themselves from cradle to grave. Okay? So those of us who want to be honest with ourselves are going to call anybody who supports government supporters of slavery. If we stop euphemizing the terms. Okay? I don't like euphemizations. I like cutting cutting through all the bull and getting down to what something really is. All right? And those who support government are supporters of slavery, if we're being honest with ourselves. All right. That being said, the democratic or liberal or left-wing types always want government to be the caretaker of the people. They think that people don't have to grow up and be truly responsible for their own lives, that somebody else should do that. And that's what they want government to be. They want it to fulfill the role of caretaker from cradle to grave. They think that the government should act as our providers, our nurturers, okay? Those who are always on the lookout and caring for us, all right? And that's the role of an archetypal mother. And again, I'm on slide number 10 here now on the images for the show or the podcast, okay? So what these, and yes, all of these people, all of them, not some, all, blanket statement now. Again, some blanket statements are not true. Some blanket statements and generalizations hold true. All of these people who th- that, that think this way, that this is what government should do, are putting the government in the proxy, okay, as the archetypal mother figure because somewhere in their personality, and again, it does not have to be a physical abandonment issue, They are suffering from motherly abandonment issues. Whether the mother physically abandoned them or was off limits emotionally, did not provide for their mental well-being, did not give them help to provide knowledge for them and teach them the right things, did not provide a true value system for them, okay, or did not instill in them a true sense of personal responsibility. These people are still children. All of these people are still children who believe in and support slavery. We can only have a system of slavery if we remain psychological and spiritual infants and never truly really grow up in those capacities. So these individuals are all, all, not some, all, every last one suffering from motherly abandonment issues, whether they are consciously aware of it or not. I'm telling you, yes, I know what's going on in their mind more than they know what's going on in their own mind. I am making that statement. Yes, I do know that. Okay? These people are all suffering from mommy issues. 100%. Now, let's not leave the other side out of the equation because, you know, we're going to treat them just as brutally here. Just as brutally honestly, I should say, okay? 
We have to stop euphemizing, and we need to call the people on the other end of the political spectrum or political aisle just what they are too, supporters of slavery. So the Republicans don't get off the hook. So let's move to slide 11 and look at them. Okay? The pe these are also people who believe in the legitimacy of government, so they are also supporters of slavery. These are the Republican, members of the Republican Party, the conservatives or the neoconservatives, whatever you want to call them. The right-wingers, okay? What do they want government to fulfill the role of? What do they want government to be? You ask them what should government be? What, what role should it play in people's lives? Well, they want it largely to be a protector. And again, that's the father's role. They want it to be the protector to police the world and keep people safe from cradle to grave like an archetypal father figure. So, so whereas the liberal, neo-lib, uh, uh, Democrat, you know, um, you know, um, uh, left-winger type wants government to be mommy, the Republican, conservative, right-wing type wants government to be daddy. Because deep down inside, they have fatherly abandonment issues. All of them. 100% all. You don't start believing in the legitimacy of government just because it is repeated. Just because of mind control technique and people telling you that that's necessary. Deep down inside, they're dealing at a subconscious level with a father that didn't pay enough attention to them with a father that wasn't emotionally available for them in some capacity, or physically available for them, just like the left-wingers are dealing with an absent mother. All of them, 100%, if you go into it deep enough with these people, they are suffering, believers in slavery, supporters of slavery, are dealing in some capacity, whether it is conscious or subconscious or unconscious, with parental abandonment issues. So this is what the right wing or the Republican or the conservative types want. They want government to be the daddy. They want it to be the protector. Again, the parental role is twofold, nurturer and protector. Largely, the Democrats or liberals or um, left wingers want government to be the nurturer, the provider. And the Republicans, the conservatives, the right wingers, they want government to be the protector, to fulfill the role of daddy. A father, okay. Now there is a third type that we, you know, don't usually talk about in dealing with the political spectrum that much. But I'm not going to leave them out of this truth-telling episode here, okay? Because if the truth be told, they are also supporters of slavery, regardless of they just think that they want the slave masters to beat us three days a week instead of seven. We'll pick this up on the other side. Stay with us, folks. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We don't need no education. Welcome back, everyone. We're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. So I was breaking down how people at different sides of the political spectrum or the political aisle uh, substitute or uh, fill in as a proxy government to fulfill the absentee role of a parental figure in their lives. 
and they're all suffering from psychological parental abandonment issues that have not really ever been dealt with or drudged up from the subconscious level and dealt with and healed. There is a third group. You might call this form of abandoned child um, the black sheep of the family. You know, it's uh, it's uh, a lot less prevalent, um, and we call them minarchists. It's a term that uh, you know people have called them, or they've even applied to themselves. You might know them as libertarians or constitutionalists. They're people who believe in only a little bit of slavery. You know, they only condone small amounts of slavery as if there is such a thing. Okay, and I recognize I'm going to alienate a lot of people by saying that. And, uh, you know, a lot of people may get angry and take offense at that. Well, you know what? Get as offended as you like. There's the tagline for the show. You know, go put it on some t-shirts or billboards. Get as offended as you like. I'm not here to be your friend and tell you what you want to hear. I'm here to tell you the truth. Minarchists are still archonists, meaning they believe in master-slave relationships. They believe in and support the archons, the masters. They think there is such a thing as masters over other people. And therefore, they believe in slavery. It doesn't make a difference whether what you say you believe in. That's not what you think is part of the ideology of minarchy. has nothing to do with what it really is. And I'm telling you, is it better than outright authoritarianism? It's a step up, but not much. You know, you need to go all the way. You need to understand there is no such thing as any kind of legitimate form of slavery. There is no such thing as legitimate government because all government is slavery. And there's no such thing as legitimized slavery. Get that through your skull. Okay? The minarchists out there. And like I say, you want to take offense to that, take all the offense you want. The bottom line is what these people are, are still children who are substituting nested psychological abandonment with the proxy of, of government, so, so, you know, taking the role, taking on the role of parental figure in their lives in some capacity, even though they want a, a minimal capacity. You might say they're the estranged teenager that doesn't want their mother and father ruling over every area of their lives, you know but they still believe that they somehow have authority over their lives. They want, I liken it to a slave that wants the, the slave master only to whip them three times a week instead of seven. You know, they look on over at the other plantation and they say, wow, on that plantation, the slaves are only beaten twice a week. Boy, that would be a great thing. You know, and we should have twice a week beatings, whippings, instead of seven day a week whippings. You know, I mean, you just, you really think of it in that way, you hear how absurd it all sounds, you know? I, I put it on this slide, slide number 12, the final slide for today, that the minarchist wants his parents to abuse him or, or her less frequently than the other children's parents abuse them. You know, it's madness, you know? And what it really is, is fear of truly owning personal responsibility because they have this fear of chaos which can't be feared if you're going to be truly free. The possibility for chaos always must exist. We must embrace it. If we want to be free, you have to have the possibility of chaos in your life. The end. Accept it. Know it. Deal with it. Okay? 
What a minarchist is is somebody who fears going all the way all the way to true freedom and total personal responsibility. They may have a little bit. They may have more than most. They may have more than other people, but they haven't gone all the way. All the way. And until we get these people to go all the way, we're, they're still supporters of slavery. I like the joke though. What's the difference between a libertarian or a minarchist and an anarchist and the joke you know punchline is about six months you know maybe so maybe a year you know but if we keep working on these people and show them that no matter what level of slavery they're supporting they're still supporting slavery you know uh maybe they'll come around and go all the way eventually and uh you know take on proudly the label of anarchist you know which is really the truth that there is no authority invested in other human beings over other human beings. So uh, that's the presentation for t tonight. And uh, I, I want to briefly open up uh, a discussion about, or just a, you know, me giving some information about um, uh, another psychological uh, profile, if you will, or what you might call a psychological workup you know that I'm going to do here right here online very briefly to uh, explain how not understanding that somebody was dealing with parental abandonment issues throughout their life or perhaps not dealing with them is better to say uh, affected their behavior and when you look at their decisions in light of that knowledge it all becomes clear perhaps in a snap of a fingers, as it did with me, uh, when I understood this person I'm going to bring up, uh, their history, their past. And the uh, person I'm going to do a short psychological profiling or workup on is Steve Jobs, the former CEO of Apple, now deceased, uh, born as Stephen Paul Jobs. Okay, so Steve Jobs, formerly from Apple, uh, he died, I believe it was about a year and a half back uh, in 2012, if I'm not mistaken. And to my knowledge, um, well, before I even tell you this, I want to talk about my perceptions of Steve Jobs in the past. Uh, I greatly respected the man in the past uh, when Apple was coming up and in their early days, uh, I used Apple's computers throughout the, the early part of their history and stuck with them through like some of the darkest times. Now, a lot of people will immediately say, oh, you know, they hate Apple, they hate Macs, whatever. It's a preference. Some people like Windows, some like Linux, some like Mac, you know. Um, uh, so I preferred the Mac platform when I was starting to use computers. I liked the graphical user interface as preference to any other alternatives. And, you know, many people know that I still use the Mac OS, although I don't buy Apple's products anymore. I build what I build my own computer, and then I run Mac OS on it. It's called making a Hackintosh. Hackintoshing, people call it. So uh, that's what I use as my main system today because I like the Mac OS, but I don't like Apple as a company, and I have no desire to give any money to them. Um, now, Apple that I knew was a vastly different company than they are today. Uh, when I first got involved buying Apple products in the earlier days of computing, you could call this company 24 hours a day and a human being would pick up the phone.
I'm not kidding either. Now, most people would think that's, you know, insane. They can't even imagine that today. Okay? No voice systems, robotic voice systems, no, you know, press this number to go to this department. A human being would pick up the phone and say, how may I help you, sir? What department can I route you to? Who can I put you in touch with to solve whatever issue or problem you're having today? Okay? And then their technical support department would stay on the phone with you if your product was supported. Okay? Meaning, it didn't have to even be under warranty. I used to call Apple for products that were not even under warranty anymore. But if it was on their supported products list back in the day, they would sit on the phone and solve the problem with you. And, st- and the, that technician would be knowledgeable. They were from this country. They weren't, you know, outsourced to, to another country. They were hiring people from here. And that person would sit on the phone with you and care about the problem until they fixed it. And if they didn't fix it, I remember back in the day, Apple would send a support technician, if the product was still under warranty, to your house if it was a hardware issue that couldn't be solved. I remember somebody coming over, I had defective RAM that I had purchased from Apple, and they came on site and put a new RAM chip in an old computer that I had. On site. It's unheard of today. This is the kind of company Apple used to be, particularly in their darker years when they were hurting and floundering. Okay, Now, when Jobs came back to the company, people don't know, he was kicked out of his own company that he started with um, Steve Wozniak. When in the early 80s, when Apple was, and this is just some background to his psychology, when, when, when Apple was upcoming and they had a, an Apple team and a Mac team, okay, he would try to pit these two teams off against each other to drive people to work harder, to best the other team. And in so doing, he created a lot of bad blood inside the company. He was creating internal schisms in the company to try to create loyalty to the Mac team and get them to work harder to innovate and build a a better new product. And I'll, I'll pick that up on the other side of the break. Stay with us. You know the day destroys the night. Night divides the day. Try to run. Welcome back, everyone. This is the last segment of What on Earth is Happening for this evening's show. I want to pick up where I left off talking about how uh, Steve Jobs was uh, thrown out of Apple back in the uh, mid-80s. He was kicked off the board of directors. Eventually, uh, they did kind of a hostile takeover on his share of stock, and he was eventually thrown out of the company. Um, but uh, I want to make a correction. He he died in uh, late 2011. I believe it was October of 2011. So I said he died in 2012. It's been longer than that. He's been uh, gone for about uh, two and a half years now. So um, with that having been said, uh, he was creating an internal schism inside his own company by pitting teams against each other and, you know, extremely rewarding one team and then viciously denouncing another team if the one team you know drove a better form of innovation and uh the board of directors looked at that as that wasn't providing a conducive working environment for many of the people that were working there and they were kind of being put down and stuff like that so they eventually uh looked at him as unstable and kicked him out of his own company that he gave birth to well this really set him off 
obviously, because, well, he started his own company next. It never really made it, uh, although the under the technological underpinnings of their operating system paved the way for Apple's modern operating system that they're using today. But um, without going into too much detail there, uh, when Jobs' um, when Jobs's software was, was kind of like, I guess you could say, annexed or brought back into Apple when uh, Apple purchased Next for their operating system, Jobs came back into the company and he immediately seized the reins of power and you knew he was viciously going to hold on to th- that power in the company till he became the CEO again. Uh, you know, he was made acting CEO and then finally became the permanent CEO up until his death. He was not going to let anybody take his baby from him again. And that brings me to this dynamic. Okay. He always saw Apple as his baby, his creation. Now, it was taken from him, and now he was going to ruthlessly hold on to it. But there's more to this dynamic than that. Because Jobs was always a control freak, really from day one. And people look at him and think, oh, he's, he's the freedom uh, guy, and uh, Steve, uh, 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 not Steve Jobs, uh, uh, Bill Gates is the guy who's all about control. And he's the eugenicist, and he's the one who wants to maintain control at Microsoft. Well, Jobs always had this ideology of wanting to be a monopoly man. He wanted to rule it. It's just he wasn't as successful at doing that as Gates. People think of him as so altruistic. And the fact of the matter is, he really had the same mindset as Bill Gates, largely. Now, I think politically he was a bit different on the different political side of the spectrum from from Gates. And I would not, certainly not call him a eugenicist as I would Bill Gates. But Jobs was definitely all about control, certainly when it came to his company and certainly when it came to what he was going to allow the consumers of his products to access. So everybody knew that Apple was all about controlling their hardware because they're a hardware company. And, you know, they always maintained limited access to hardware and used proprietary components. And that's because, again, their industrial design drives their business model and their hardware is their business model, not software. Well, now, in the later part of Jobs' reign as CEO of Apple, before his death, he became not only a control freak when it came to the hardware, but he also locked down the new systems, the software systems that Apple was building into their products, uh, namely iOS. In the phone, in the iPhone first, the iPhone, and then in the iPad and iPod. And this system is locked down tighter than a drum. I'm not going to get into all the details, but when I mean it is locked down, I mean... If you even compare it to other mobile platforms, it is so tightly controlled. And not only is the the hardware and software tightly controlled, but the model of programming is so tightly controlled and selling the apps is so tightly controlled. Jobs came up with the strategy of selling only through the app store and then taking a 30% cut of all apps that developers sell through the app store. And there is no alternative that has to be done through the app store. There is no other method of installation on at least a non jailbroken iOS device, you know, factory iOS device as it is shipped from the factory. So, um, this ideology of total control over every aspect of the product, of the creation that he was putting out there, okay, stems from his own psychological abandonment issues. And I never understood this. I always thought of him as a control freak in the later years when he came back to power at, at Apple, but I never understood why he was doing it. There's that word again, that causal factor. Why was he behaving in this way? 
And none of it made any sense to me until his biography came out in 2011 and it came out that he had been adopted from almost from birth, very, 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 very early on in life. Steve Jobs was adopted. His birth parents gave him up for adoption because of dynamics that were going on within their family at the, as soon as they gave birth to him. So he was given up for adoption by his parents, abandoned by his parents, you could say. Not really even for valid reasons. It was because his parents' family didn't approve of his mother and father's relationship. They had the means of caring for the child and gave him up anyway. I would say it's not even a valid reason. Family pressure brought this to bear. Okay, So Jobs carried this psychological trauma with him throughout his entire adulthood, unresolved. And as a result, he could never fully give his child in the form of his created technology to other people because he was given up so he never really wanted to fully give people open access to that technology now this is how psychological trauma works it works through proxy it never made sense to me why he was such a control freak when it came to both hardware and software and it was largely hardware at first. Then it became the whole package later. I didn't grasp it. I was looking for reasons like, why does he behave like this? I want to like the guy, you know. I like, I like at least his software, you know. Apple always had, you know, good industrial design. And I didn't necessarily want to stick with them hardware-wise. I thought their hardware was not, you know, not necessarily top of top notch. But it was good enough and it ran their hardware ran their software well. The software is why I liked Apple. I like Mac OS. That's what, why most people built brand loyalty to this company at any time in the past. I don't consider myself a fanatic. I was just an enthusiast and I appreciated their operating system very much. So, with that being said, now that I understood his parental abandonment issues through his adoption early in life, it fully made sense to me why he could never fully give people the, his creations. Because psychologically, he did not want to do the same thing with his surrogate children in the form of his creations that he contributed to making that his real live birth parents did to him. And Jobs never reconciled this uh, with his birth parents. He died never having any sort of an audience or meeting with them. I believe his birth father wanted to meet with him before Jobs died from pancreatic cancer in 2011 and uh, uh, Jobs would not even grant a meeting to him. So uh, you could see that's how nested psychological traumatic abandonment issues work through the subconscious mind and how they manifest through behaviors. And I would say to you Absolutely, this is exactly why Steve Jobs' behavior, why he became such a control freak, and, and that directed the course that his company, Apple, took uh, later on in his life. And now they are continuing in that tradition. Apple has not relented or let up or reversed their course, unfortunately. Uh, they've become worse than Microsoft in many ways, if you ask me. And it's sad because this company didn't used to be like that for for former 
loyalists or enthusiasts, whatever you want to call people who stuck with them in the early days of the company, uh, many of us will be able to offer testimony that this company was not always the way that they are now. Many people love them now and think they're so great because of how many iOS devices they sell and oh, they drove innovation in the mobile platform. I see Apple as a company that's gone extraordinarily downhill since their early times and it's largely because of the nested subconscious psychological abandonment issues of their former CEO Steve Jobs. So I was glad I was able to break that down. We'll take some calls uh, on the other uh, on the next show. That's all the time we have for this one. Ladies and gentlemen, remember there's only two mistakes you can make on the path to truth. Not starting and not going all the way. We'll see you here next week on What on Earth is Happening. Thanks for listening.